Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> Sound check? This is okay? Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so you made it through the first day of a retreat. <clears throat> Are we having fun yet? <clears throat> first day for most people is not so easy, not quite the, the vacation that uh, some might have planned. What did I do with my summer vacation? Uh, <clears throat> And uh, there's a, some common experiences on, on the first day. Just to take a little uh, weather report. Uh, how many people were sleepy today? Okay, look around. And uh, how many people were restless today at times? Mm-hmm. And uh, how many people were dealing with aches in the body? Uh-huh. And uh, how about busy mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> you're right on schedule. That's what the first day or two, sometimes three, uh, of a retreat is about, a settling in period. So um, it's good to know that you're not doing anything wrong. This is a natural part of the process. I sometimes think of it as uh, a detox, the beginning of a retreat. I was mentioning this in one of the groups. It's like you're fasting from running on stimulation. And here you are, and there's not a whole lot of entertainment, not a whole lot going on. And you're being told, okay, now sit still for 45 minutes or so. Now walk very mindfully in a certain way. Now eat and taste your food. Um, Now sleep or rest in a bed that might not be familiar to you or maybe with a roommate that you've never met before. Um, there's going bound to be some mm, question and resistance and grumpiness. Um, and so the, another common experience on the first day of a retreat is, um, why did I sign up for this? <laughs> what, was the, what was the idea? Uh, it seemed like a good idea when I put in that deposit. Again, a very natural thought that arises while you're sitting. Now some people, I don't want to take away uh, the possibility that um, some people, many people might, you might have had moments of, wow, this is so nourishing. There's nothing I need to do. No emails, no responsibilities, nothing uh, is expected of me other than to just be here with myself and to just be here away from um, the hustle and bustle of of life. Oh, this is so wonderful, this is so peaceful. So if you've had those moments, I uh, 
want to um, just acknowledge that that too is not uncommon, but the beginning of a retreat is a settling in period. And so there's often a question of what are we supposed to be doing? What's supposed to happen? What is it supposed to look like? Am I doing it right? So that's what I want to talk about tonight. First, as I said earlier, you can't do it wrong, so don't worry about passing the test. It's just being here for uh, whatever your experience is. It's not so easy to do that, though. That's why this is called practice. The word practice is used over and over in this process. So um, first I wanted to talk about what exactly mindfulness is and then some uh, qualities of heart that are both being cultivated and that will support your process as well. I want to um, read from uh, the Buddha the beginning of the discourse that all of um, mindfulness practice is based on. Many of you are familiar with this. Uh, This is called the Satipatthana Sutta from the collection of discourses, the Majjhima Nikaya. This is number 10. And all of mindfulness practice, all of Vipassana practice, really comes from this discourse. And the Buddha describes the different ways to be mindful. This is the start of the discourse. There is a most wonderful, sometimes it's translated as, there is a most direct way to help living beings realize purification, overcome directly grief and sorrow, end pain and anxiety, travel the right path, and realize the highest happiness. This is the establishment of mindfulness. That's pretty, pretty amazing. All of those things end pain and anxiety, sorrow and lamentation, grief and despair, and open to the highest happiness just by developing mindfulness. Sometimes when I think about, about it, how amazing it was that the Buddha sitting under the tree came upon this elusive truth, this quality of mind that if we can just cultivate this in a very deep and profound and accessible way that we can end our suffering and realize happiness. Mm. What an amazing secret that is now being broadcast to the whole world. The mindfulness explosion. Isn't that amazing? People who undertake mindfulness, oh yeah, gee, I heard about that mindfulness-based stress reduction course. Sounds pretty good. I'm getting a little stressed. Yeah, I think I'll just just chill out a bit and 
and uh, just learn how to how to come into this moment who don't have a clue of the possibilities and the potential that this has to offer. And often how wonderful it is that the practice itself hooks people and says, this is really good. I want more. And maybe for some they say, well, what is this all about anyway? How far can it go? And then they might go from a stress reduction course to maybe a day long here at Spirit Rock or some other, some other center or read a book about mindfulness. Joseph Goldstein, uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with his brilliant, very uh, comprehensive book called Mindfulness. And he purposely called it mindfulness. This is just a few years ago that it came out because he thought it would be a good idea to reclaim mindfulness as the the full potential for freedom. And so they might come across a book and say, oh, wow, there's more to this than just learning to calm myself down. And here we are having the opportunity to practice and cultivate the, the depths of what this has to offer. So what is mindfulness? I'll talk a little bit about it. A few different aspects that you might keep in mind. It is simply knowing what's happening right now without getting lost in your judgments about how you'd like things to be. And being here for your experience, even when it's pleasant without grasping at it, because it will change. And even when it's challenging and difficult without pushing it away, because it will change, to just be with our experience directly as it is. There are a few different uh, dimensions or aspects of this simple practice that I want to uh, remind us all of. First, as was said, I think how he said it last night, Vipassana, the word Vipassana means simply to see things clearly, to see things just as they are. That means Whatever is here, you don't have to make it better. You don't have to make it worse. You don't have to make it more intense than it is. It's just calling it like it is. I grew up in New York, New York City, where people live in superlatives. This is the most intense day of my life. (laughs) Even more than yesterday. Ever hear somebody say to you, this is the greatest movie, it's going to blow your mind, it's the best movie you'll ever see. And you go to it and you say, it was good, but it wasn't the best movie I ever saw. Somehow it takes it away by trying to squeeze a little bit more. This practice is just calling it like it is. Nothing you need to make happen. If you're bored, hmm, I'm bored right now. 
not I'm going to die if I have to sit here for another five minutes. You know? Oh, it's boring right now. Or if you're feeling calm, doesn't have to be, oh my goodness, enlightenment is just around the corner. It's just, oh, this is calm. This is nice. Oh, this is joy. This is fear. This is love. This is confusion. Just calling it like it is. And there's something so um, aligned with the truth when you can just name your experience for what it is and not need to either make more of it or pretend it's better than it is. It's just, just how it is. So that's the first thing, to see things clearly, to see things just as they are, as best you can, given the fact that you are a subjective being and have your own thoughts about what's going on, but not needing to make anything else happen. Second aspect of this mindfulness is um, learning more and more to be here in the present moment. This is not where many of us spend a lot of our time. Have you noticed? Have you noticed today as you're trying to be here and notice one breath, how so much gets in the way, how we are thinking about the future, whether it's, oh, am I gonna last these next 40 minutes, or I wonder what this retreat is gonna be like, will it be better tomorrow, or yeah, when I go home, this is waiting for me, either with anticipation or with worry, uh oh, I hope this doesn't happen. Somebody in the group today was, was saying, uh, and was speaking for, for all of us, and as he said, um, you know, my, my thought comes, uh-oh, are the next few days going to be all like this, like it is today? And we were talking about how if that's the thought that's keeping on being replayed in your mind, you can spend all of the next four days thinking about, will it be like it is like it is now? And it will because that's what you keep on replaying. Oh, I've got this thought. Is this going to be how it is tomorrow? So this is being here in the present, which is so elusive, how much of the time we're either toppling forward into the future, leaning back into the past, either with fond memory, nostalgia, or regret and replaying the past, or lost in some fantasy. Uh, let's see, how many people were uh, in, the, uh, in the future lot today? Okay. And how about the past? Who is spending a lot of time in the past? Okay. And how about fantasy? Okay. And how about all three of them? Yeah. And every now and then, oh yeah, the present moment. Oh, this is a, they keep on saying that. That's a good idea. It's so, um, it takes practice to get here. You know, one, one teacher calls it uh, manual labor. Like you're just bringing yourself back. Okay, come on back, come on back. 
But the interesting thing is, at the beginning, it takes some effort to be here, but the more you're here, the more you make the effort to be here, not a struggling effort, but just a coming back to this moment, whenever you see you've gone, and come back in a very kind way, the more that mindfulness develops, and Howie was alluding to this er earlier, as the mindfulness, as you're here more, it's more interesting. And as it's more interesting, you want to be here more. And as you want to be here more, the mindfulness grows. So at the beginning, it takes a little bit of, it takes a lot of intention to keep on coming back. But after a while, there's a kind of momentum that gets developed where you see, oh, why be any place else? But that takes, takes a, a little while, a couple of days, to just even land in the present moment. <clears throat> so that's where the beginning of a retreat requires a lot of, of patience, which I'll talk about in a little while. But it's happening. All you need to do is have the intention to be here. As, as was mentioned, the key moment, the way I see it, the key moment in this process is the moment that you realize you've been gone. While you're gone, there's not much about it you can do. You're gone. You might be gone for five seconds, five minutes, 15 minutes, gone. At some point, you might realize, and it helps to be in a room full of people, oh, meditating, this is what we're doing. Okay. And at that point, you've got a choice how to deal with the fact that you've been gone. One very common response is, oh, darn it, there I am, gone again. Come back here. And you can probably hear in that the judgment, the frustration, the discouragement, the agitation that comes with that kind of response. And what you're doing is cultivating judgment, frustration, discouragement, agitation, with a little bit of awareness thrown in. Okay. So you don't get any bonus points for beating yourself up. Second response, very common response, oh, I've been lost in thought, but this is a really interesting thought. Let me just go with this one for a while. <laughs> and when you've done that, you have bitten the bait and you're gone again, if you're lucky for five seconds, more likely more. So as has been mentioned, the recommended response when you realize you've been gone, instead of feeling discouraged, appreciate, oh, back here in the present moment. And let that return, that reconnection, be done with great kindness and patience and just the intention to be here once again. That's your end of the deal. So all you need to do is be here as best you can and when you see you've gone, come back in a very kind way. That's it. So, seeing things clearly, learning how to be here in the present. A third aspect of this practice of mindfulness is seeing, as you try to be in the present more and more, it becomes 
obvious, increasingly obvious, that the present moment is constantly changing. If you ask most people do things change, they will probably say, yeah, sooner or later things change. But we don't live our life with that embodied understanding for the most part, unless you've been practicing, unless you've been practicing here or you've been practicing mindfulness for for a while. Most people uh, don't have that embodied understanding while they're going through intense times. When things are difficult, there can easily be the idea, the thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm really going to be stuck for good now. But when you know that everything changes, oh, I can be here with this. Let me see what I can learn from it. And there's not that added fear and aversion. Or when things are going fantastic, there can be this idea, wow, I finally got my life together. And I've been working hard for a long time. Here it is, smooth sailing. Not realizing that everything changes. And so why not appreciate it while it's here fully, and then when it changes, okay, that's part of the, part of the deal too. So learning to see what's here, learning to be in the present, noticing how things change, and the last aspect of this mindful attention that seems so important, so essential, is the non-judgment part. Because when we are here, there's often the commentary, oh, this is how things are supposed to be, or if I were running the universe, I'd do a much better job than this, and life is failing my test right now. Or somehow railing against and saying, not fair, this isn't fair. And yeah, life often isn't fair. But you don't have to add on top of it that judgment that it shouldn't be the way it is. So that's where this non-judging awareness is so profound. To see what's here without adding on a battle with reality. And that's that refuge in the Dharma, that life is giving you just what you need to wake up in each moment, in this moment. So you might think, oh, then all I have to do is um, stop my judgments. Good luck. Because the mind creates judgments. Even at the third stage of enlightenment, just as a little bit of a uh, Theravadan um, teachings, uh, Theravada is the, is the tradition that this, this practice comes out of, the, this, the uh, way of the elders from the earliest teachings of the Buddha, Sri Lanka, Burma, Thailand, the Theravadan tradition. And all of the, the Buddha's teachings that have been handed down are preserved in the, what's called the Pali Canon. Mm. And in the model of enlightenment, there are four stages of enlightenment in some 
in some systems. Fourth stage being a fully enlightened being. Third stage of enlightenment, pretty rarefied atmosphere. They're still judging in the mind. So if you find yourself caught in judgment, it just, you can think of it, well, I'm no higher than third stage anyway. (laughs) So rather than thinking that you've got to get rid of the judgments, just don't judge them. Because we can add an infinite regression of judgments on our experience, especially when you realize, oh, not supposed to be judging, and there you are sitting and noticing, oh, your mind is wandering, oh, that was a judgment. Oh, darn it, there I am, wandering. Oh, that was a judgment. Oh, that was another judgment. Darn it, I just did it again. You know, there's no end to judging the judging and judging the judging of the judging. You following me? At some point, you might just notice, oh, and there's judging in the mind. And you can say it with great kindness and compassion, and it doesn't have to be a problem. It's just another thing that you're noticing. So mindfulness is simply noticing what's here without getting lost in your judgments. And it's a very restful place to be. Here's a simple exercise to show you a bit how mindfulness works that I love. Joseph Goldstein uh, has done this for years and it's a very, very simple demonstration. Just put your hand out in front of you right now and move it back and forth very slowly. And you might close your eyes as you're moving your hand, and put all your attention on feeling the movement. Right now, is there any confusion? Any worry? Any fear? Just feel the movement. Any wanting? You're just feeling the movement. Okay, you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you were just mindful. And in that moment, did you need to add anything on to make it a better moment? It was just connected. Did you need to take anything away? No. There was a balance in that moment just being present for your experience. And your mind wasn't lost in thoughts, in stories, in wanting, in aversion. Oh, and you can have that same quality of connection whether you're feeling your breath or hearing a sound or feeling a sensation in the body or noticing a feeling, an emotion or noticing the thought process itself. Anything is just as good as anything else to pay attention to. We start by paying attention to uh, the breath just as a home base. And if the breath doesn't work for you, there are other alternatives to that. But it's simply just connecting with things as they are. 
And as you try to do that, something becomes increasingly clear. And that is your mind keeps on creating all of these thoughts, doesn't it? Your mind has a mind of its own. And as you are trying to pay attention and there are all these thoughts, something becomes increasingly clear that you don't have control over your mind. That might sound like very depressing news. It's actually great news because if you don't have control over what thought comes through at any moment, you have some control, but not really. If you could control your mind, you probably only have loving, beautiful thoughts, blessing humanity all the time, but some others probably slip in there. If you can't control your mind so that it does just what you want, then you don't have to blame yourself for what comes through. You don't have to take responsibility. You don't have to take credit. You don't have to take blame. Your mind is just doing its thing. But as you pay attention to it, you can start to discern what thoughts you want to give energy to and believe and empower and what thoughts you don't. This is a tremendous gift that you give yourself. As you're sitting here and you see all of these thoughts coming and going and coming and going out of nowhere into nowhere, then more and more you don't have to take your thoughts so seriously and jump on every thought train that comes through. And instead you can just be here witnessing this show that's happening all by itself. Joseph, again, has very, uh, very useful instruction. He says, if you're sitting in a meditation hall and you're bothered by your thoughts, just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. <laughs> it works, yeah. There's no problem in that. You know, well, I hope he gets it together and has, calms down, you know. <laughs> But you don't have to say, oh, what an awful person I am for having that thought. Oh, there I am stuck again. It's just doing its own thing. And you can have a, a lightness about it that doesn't take it quite so seriously. And the more you see that, the more you have compassion for that, the more you see, oh, wow, here I am doing the best I can and the mind does its thing and you can have some kindness and compassion for this crazy mind, this puppy dog mind. And then you can be um, kind of in on the joke. Wow. If you can shift from, oh gosh, look at my mind, to, wow, look at the mind, then it makes all the difference in the world. And the more you understand and have compassion for this, the more you see, oh, we're all in this together. Here's that fathom-long body, that laboratory to explore the human experience. And from that sense of connection is really, that's what love is, where there's not a barrier between us and everybody else. And even more profoundly, you start to understand 
some basic principles of reality that free the mind and open the heart. And you find a place of peace that's been right inside of you all along. So there's many, many ways and reasons why the Buddha says what he says as far as um, this being a way to overcome suffering and realize the highest happiness. One of the ways also in a practical level that it works is when you're mindful, you can wake up from whatever confusion you happen to be in. I want to share with you a, a story that, uh, that beautifully illustrates this about how mindfulness works uh, that I um, included in, in book Awakening Joy that I put together about Sylvia Borstein, my, uh, our dear friend and colleague. And she was telling this story about um, how mindfulness helped her reframe an experience. And she was, uh, she was saying one evening, uh, she was staying in New York with, with a friend and uh, she'd arranged to meet, meet the friend for a theater performance and she decided to take a bus to get there. And as the bus crept along through the heavy traffic, Sylvia started worrying. She said, I'm gonna be late. I'll miss the curtain. My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. The subway would have been so much faster. Figuring she could walk faster than the bus was going, Sylvia got off. And of course, as I'm walking, the bus passes me by. <laughs> and now I'm thinking I should have taken a cab. Now, Sylvia has been meditating for many years, but she's been worrying and fretting for even longer. So, as she readily admits, so it was easy that she could fall into that reaction. So she uh, continues her story and she describes she's running down Broadway in high heels with a cold whipping around her. And then all of a sudden I have the thought, oh, what am I doing? Oh, I'm grumbling. That's a moment of mindfulness. Up until then, I was caught in a habit-driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening. But the moment it, at which the mind says, oh, Sylvia, dear, you're grumbling, in a loving way. The lens switches, and suddenly the truth of that moment is, I'm a 71-year-old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels. That is far out. That's an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud, and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. <laughs> Just in a moment of mindfulness, it's like, oh dear, you're having a meltdown. That's what's going on, you know. Sometimes I'll say, oh, freaking out, Buddha. That's what's here, okay. And just in that moment, the prison that my mind has created is is open oh that's what's happening i'm just getting some i'm just getting lost i'm just getting confused it's okay just started believing in my thoughts so these qualities of of mind uh, of just seeing clearly see, being here in the present noticing how things change and not 
judging our experience or not judging the judging, they lead to tremendous um, depth of peace as well as wisdom and compassion. So now I want to talk about some certain supportive qualities of heart that can... um, that are being cultivated that we can consciously cultivate at the same time. And these are all about learning how to open to our experience. Mm. First is a quality of forgiveness. It's so easy to get down on yourself for not being the perfect meditator and just seeing, oh, I'm trying to do the best I can Can you do any better than your best? Uh Uh-uh. And if you simply show up and do your part, the practice works. Sometimes people judge how their meditation is going by what it looks like, how concentrated you are, how calm you are, how clear you are, or how loving you are. Don't do that. Like I said, your experience changes all the time. And so rather than equating your effort by what the results are, effort comes from a sincerity of heart. If you really are willing to show up fully and then open to the moment as best you can. That's all you can do. As is often said, it's not what's happening that's important. It's our relationship to what's happening that's really the key. So an attitude of real forgiveness and not taking it personally. It's that not taking it personally that's really the key. We were talking today in one of the groups, somebody was talking about their, um, like it was their sleepiness, uh, and they were uh, frustrated by it, which is understandable. You come here, you want to be clear. Okay, let's get down to it. And there you are just sleeping away. And it can be so, uh, such an easy, slippery slope to say, why can't I just stay more alert and awake? But actually, when you're having that thought, you're missing the point of this whole practice. And that is, you're not running the show. And if you're taking it personally, the fact that you're sleepy or that you're restless or that whatever you are, wherever you are, you're thinking, I should be more in control of my experience. And you're missing the deep truth of the selfless nature of reality, that your body follows its own laws, your mind has its own patterns. Your emotions can get triggered at the 
uh, the, the drop of a hat. And there you are, this flow of thoughts and feelings and sensations that is life happening through you. So when you get into the idea, I should have more control over my experience, you're missing the basic understanding of the selfless nature of reality. And when you can see, oh, I'm doing the best I can, and this is what's happening, and I don't have to blame myself or feel frustrated, I can just keep on showing up, you are seeing the truth in a very profound way. Now, it's true that the more mindful you are or the more you practice kindness or compassion, those things have a greater possibility of arising. So it's not that you don't have any input into the process. It's just that in any moment, you don't control what is arising in that moment. But you can incline the mind towards more presence, towards more clarity, towards more love, towards more compassion. And as you incline the mind in that direction, that starts to more likely arise. So there's this balance between not taking your experience personally and yet inclining your mind in a certain direction. So, not taking it personally is another way of uh, bringing them around, bringing forgiveness to your experience. We have such high standards often for ourselves. You know, I've seen that in myself. If you have any kind of perfectionist streak in you, it's good to be motivated to do the best you can, but you can't do better than your best. And one day it occurred to me that the best you can do as a perfectionist is break even. You do it perfectly, okay, that's the way I'm supposed to, and anything less, and you've blown it. This is not very kind. And one of the, for me, most inspiring pieces of wisdom, of Dharma wisdom, the third Zen patriarch, of China, Verses on the, on the Faith Mind by the Third Zen Patriarch, Sengstan. He has this one line that I love. He says, to live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. That's when you've really made it. To live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. Let go of being perfect. Do the best you can. And there's always, you can be inspired by cultivating and, uh, and developing your full potential. But don't make it a pass-fail test. That's, that's too unfair to yourself. Mm. So, forgiveness, and you get a chance to do this over and over every time you see your mind wander is another opportunity for, to, for forgiveness and not taking it personally. 
another quality of opening to our experience is patience. It's said that uh, the spiritual journey requires a cup of wisdom, a barrel of love, and an ocean of patience. This takes time. You've been practicing it. You've been practicing habits of mind for a lifetime. And so not to think that it's going to be undone all at once or that the transformation happens, uh, happens so quickly. But just know if you're facing in the right direction, every moment of mindfulness counts. The, the, uh, the first time I did a longer retreat, you know, we, this is a five-day retreat. Every fall in, uh, in Massachusetts, there's a, a three-month retreat. It's been going on now for... This is the 40th anniversary of the three-month course at Massachusetts. And I was on the very first one 40 years ago. And the first time I did one of those, by the third day, my mind was going 11 weeks, (laughs) three days, 15 hours, 20 minutes to go, I'm never going to make it. And I was really scared, actually. Have, have you seen your mind go today, mm, three more, four more days of this, you know, five more days of this, you know. Well, imagine three months, right? <clears throat> Fortunately, somebody gave me, uh, gave a talk on patience just around that time. And every time I saw myself leaning forward. Ah, it's not going to happen. I can spend the whole retreat leaning forward. Why not just be here? This is where there's refuge, right here in the present. I did this in, uh, in one of the groups today. I'll, I'll offer it to all of you. Just imagine you're looking forward to something, like whether it's the end of the retreat or your, your next real vacation where you're sunning on the on the beach or you're you're with your friends and having a good time or whatever and just imagine it's out there in front of you and if you can reach far enough and touch it you'll have instant gratification okay so play along with me on this just to give your body uh the lesson Imagine, keep your butt on the cushion or the chair and just reach forward to that wonderful moment that you so want. And notice how it feels right now as you're reaching forward. And then you realize it's not going to happen. So now slowly, slowly come back and let your body feel what it's like to come back to center. You notice the difference? Somehow feeling it viscerally, kinesthetically, uh, it's even more powerful. This is really off balance and unpleasant. This is where centeredness and balance and peace is found. 
So every time you see yourself toppling forward, just come back. That's why there's refuge in the present moment. So forgiveness, patience, you're cultivating patience here, just being with things as they are. Third quality of opening our hearts to experience can make a really big difference, and that is having a sense of humor as you do this. As Wavy Gravy says, if you can't laugh, it's just not funny. (laughs) And you can get very serious doing this practice. I know. That's why I ended up writing a book called Awakening Joy, because I got very serious about practice. Dead serious about practice. This is not about cultivating grimness. You get no extra credit for grimness. Grimness is not a factor of enlightenment. Joy is a factor of enlightenment. And to have a sense of humor about the insanity of this mind makes all the difference in the world. It's amazing that we have these continual thinking creating machines that are fantastic, that can create the most beautiful things in the world, and that can also create hell realms. Keep a sense of humor about it. Wow, look at the mind do its thing. Amazing. Mm, on, On one retreat, I've told this story uh, before. Some of you have heard it, I'm sure. On one retreat, I, uh, it was a longer retreat, and I, had a, I often have a jukebox going through my, my head, songs that I can't get out of my head. I'm talking about it in a, a group today. Sometimes I think I'm putting together a five CD boxed set of songs that I can't get out of my head on retreat. And this one it's one early, a long retreat. Uh, I had uh, a song from uh, Bob Dylan's, I was a big Bob Dylan fan. Most brilliant, depressive <laughs> creation uh, album for me was Blonde on Blonde. And uh, he had this one song I was going through, sitting there on the retreat, called Visions of Johanna. It goes, Ain't it just like the night to play tricks when you're trying to be so quiet? We're sitting here stranded, though we're all doing our best to deny it. This is on a three-month retreat. (laughs) And it went around and around in my brain one solid week. We're sitting here stranded, though we're all doing our best to deny it. And I was getting more and more depressed. (laughs) We're sitting here stranded. Magically, the needle, it was the days of vinyl, jumped in my mind to a later verse that starts out, Oh, little boy lost, he takes himself so seriously. (laughs) 
that line came on and it was like the sky opened up. Oh my goodness, that's what's going on. And it was like the spell broke. I was so happy, really. I don't need to go down in that hole over and over. Then the song, the Jackson Brown song came on, Take It Easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy, you know. <laughs> Lighten up while you still can. I played that for the rest of the retreat. You know? <laughs> and it shifted everything. Just lighten up while you still can. You know, that became my mantra. You don't have to get into a somber state to be a good meditator. Don't. And, of course, there are times when you need to process real pain and real sorrow and real suffering. I'm not saying to live in denial. Those are very important parts of the retreat as well. If stuff comes up and needs to be honored and processed. But if you're just finding yourself in a funk, lighten up while you still can. That's where having a smile on your face or maybe opening up and brightening up, as the, the Buddha says, brightening the heart, gladdening the heart, and thinking of wholesome states, loving kindness, things like that. This is really skillful. But to keep it light while you're bringing a wholeheartedness to practice, very, very helpful. And then just the, the last thing that I'll, I'll mention it, all of these are really uh, a, an attitude of, of kindness and you'll be hearing more about kindness uh, as the retreat goes on. But um, it really comes down to uh, being kind and appreciating what you're doing here. It's a, really the foundation for a heart that's spacious and clear and wise. And so having some genuine compassion and appreciation for what you're doing, um, it's, uh, it's an amazing, not only gift, but practice that you're giving yourself. Oh, I can be kind no matter what's going on. Here's, uh, here's the, the self-compassion break from uh, the Mindful Self-Compassion by uh, Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer. When things get really hard, very simple. Just try this. Put your hand on your heart. And this right away um, releases oxytocin and physiologically calms the system. And then they suggest saying uh, a few different phrases and you can have your own variation oh, this is suffering, or, oh, this is really hard right now. And letting yourself feel it, take it in. Oh, this is part of life. Suffering is part of life. May I hold my suffering with kindness. Just reminding yourself that you can be kind even if you don't say any words, to just put your hand on your heart is very soothing. Or 
in, in some way to bring about that, that kindness. This is, this is the key to opening up to the moment. Mm. So I'll mm, finish with a, a simple poem by Dana Falls. I can find it here, called Walk Slowly About the Practice. It only takes a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still, and just like that, Something in me settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. The harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper, and I remember again that life isn't a relay race, that we will all cross the finish line, that waking up to life is what we were born for. As many times as I forget, catch myself charging forward without even knowing where I'm going, that many times I can make the choice to stop, to breathe, and be, and walk slowly into the mystery. As many times as I forget, catch myself charging forward without even knowing where I'm going, that many times I can make the choice to stop, to breathe, and be, and walk slowly into the mystery. So let's just take a moment and let the words settle. very much for your attention. <clears throat> so there's a 30-minute walking period and we'll come back for, for one last sitting for the evening and uh, I'll give a, maybe a little extra teaching at the end to tuck you in. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.